Good morning, everyone. I know I feel kind of loud, but JP's going to take care of me in a minute. JP told me I do a good job of projecting. Every teacher that I've ever had told me that as well. <laughs> so, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us here at Grace. And to the millions upon millions, I'm starting a new sermon series this morning. And it is on... Um, is on a, uh, uh, the series is, is our Advent series. And you might be new to the word Advent. Uh, if, if maybe you haven't been in a, a, a church that follows a liturgical or a church calendar, um, Advent is a season that we are looking ahead to a great event. In this four-week season, um, as you guys know, our pastor's wife, Julie, uh, has COVID at the moment, and so John Tyler answered the bell last week on short notice. I'll be here the next two weeks to start this sermon series, and then Pastor Ransom will be back for the last two weeks. But all of it is leading up in this month until, to Christmas morning when our Lord Jesus is born into this world. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. Um, I want to take a few minutes before we actually get to the text. I know we typically read our our scripture that we're going to preach from in the morning first, but I'm, I, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to lay a little bit of a foundation of the, the sermon series that we're, we're heading into. And, and then, about halfway through, I'll read our scripture text, and then uh, I'll give you just two, two quick points from the scripture this morning for us to consider. Um, before we start, let me pray for us, let me pray for myself and that we'll have ears to hear this morning. Father God, we come to you this morning and we are so grateful uh, for the opportunity to even have a message to preach, to have an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel, to have an opportunity to remember that we have been redeemed, we've been saved, we've been rescued, and Lord, that this whole month, this Advent time, we would be searching and looking forward uh, to the one that saved us, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would be here with me this morning, that my words would fall away, your words would remain in everyone's minds and hearts this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to start by just, like I said, laying a foundation for what Advent is, what this four-week series is all about, what you can expect over the next four weeks. And as I read through the text this morning and the next three weeks, the word preparation kept coming into my head. Preparing. The art of preparation. We hear this word a lot in just the world around us, right? I'm preparing this sermon, I prepared dessert for Thanksgiving, I'm preparing the team to be ready to take the field next week. Uh, this word preparation, preparing, isn't uh, uncommon to us, but what, what exactly is it? It's, it's a time of taking inventory of what we have, what we lack, the things that we need to add to be ready. Uh, it's, it's a time where we stop and consider where we're going and what we're going towards. 
And this word preparation ultimately ends with being ready for some event. Being ready when the time comes, circled on a calendar, the event to come. And in Advent, that preparation time is ourselves, the church, being prepared, uh, anticipating the greatest event that has ever happened in this world. It's the coming of the King. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. God Almighty is going to put on skin and come flesh and bones into our world to rescue His children. There's two main parts Uh, two main events, I guess you could say, in a calendar year that we get really excited about and as we should. It's the coming of Jesus and it's the resurrection of Jesus. And everything in our Bible, Old Testament through the New Testament, points to this person, Jesus. Our calendar is, is, is all about Him. And built after him. Our time system is built after him. This great event that we're preparing for is the coming of the king. And when I say prepare in a biblical context, it's hard not to think of John the Baptist. If you've read the, the book of, of Matthew, um, you come across Matthew 3 where, where Matthew writes and he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says this, he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord and make His paths straight. Now I'm not going to say too much more about John the Baptist because Ransom's going to be preaching that particular, that specific text in a couple weeks. But I want to give you the idea there, there is this preparation that is needed over these next couple weeks as we get closer and closer to Christmas. One author I was reading this week said that Advent is a time of anticipation and looking forward to Christ's coming and that it's genuine Christmas joy. All right, Genuine Christmas joy. Now, if you're anything like me, you love Christmas time, right? The, the idea of decorations and, you know, do you decorate before Thanksgiving? Are you one of those crazy people? Or you decorate after Thanksgiving? Or do you do it Thanksgiving Day? Or do you have your Christmas art, your, your radio already tuned in to the Christmas channel? What, what, do, you, what do you have going on? You're just getting ready for this Christmas spirit. But I asked my grandmother who was down from Michigan uh, over Thanksgiving. It was the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Ever heard of it? Um, and I asked her, I said, I said um, all her life she's, she's lived up north. And I said, Grandma, in your 24 years of living, how many white Christmases have you had? White Christmas, you know, that's part of the Christmas spirit, right? Like the song and everything. She goes, you know, Steve, before the song, And you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Um, before the song, people didn't really talk about 
white Christmas. Like, it, that wasn't part of the Christmas commercialization package. She said, we just wanted to be warm and have food and maybe a few gifts. And she goes, and if it snowed, you had to go shovel the walk, so you kind of hoped it didn't. But it made me think, as I was sitting there, I, I was kind of working on this sermon after I had that conversation with her, and, and it hit me, this confusion that we have, even as a church, when it comes to Christmas. Now, now hear me out. I, when we think about a genuine Christmas joy, let me put that in contrast to the Christmas commercialization spirit, they kind of run head-to-head at each other. They don't run together. The genuine Christmas joy leads us to a place of, of silence, of solitude, of awe, of taking inventory and preparation, anticipation, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this, the celebration of Advent, this genuine Christmas joy, is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Let me read that one more time. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Let's pause and let's go to the the commercialization of Christmas that I so easily fall trap and fall prey to myself, which typically leads to hustling. It leads to tree setup tree purchase, tree decoration, and all the first 10 years of my marriage fighting with Katie between how many lights are supposed to be on the tree versus decorations, and do you decorate the whole tree or just the part that shows against the wall? It leads to getting all the stuff down from the attic or out of the basement and replacing all the bookshelves with stuff and replacing all the Christmas stuff only to take it down in another month. It's the lights going up outside and inside. Um, The cookies that need to be baked. The gifts that need to be purchased. Ending of the fiscal year and all the things you need to wrap up for work. It is hectic and crazy compared to this genuine Christmas joy that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about us realizing that we need something greater. Now, before you go, Scrooge McGee or whatever is up here. Did I say his name right, Scrooge McGee? I think I did. Thank you. Before, I want you to know, I love a good, I love a good Clark Griswold decorated house, just like the rest of you. Okay, I get pumped up when I see my next door neighbor, Clark Griswold, went all out. I like it. And so I'm not banging on all that, but what I'm, the message I want you to see today is, is as we start this Advent season, as we start this walk towards Jesus' birth, 
can we separate the holiday Christmas spirit that's been commercialized from this genuine Christmas joy that won't be satisfied in gingerbread cookies or candy canes or a pair of you know, awesome slippers or a cool tree, but will only be satisfied in realizing that the King of Kings left His throne, humbled Himself, and came into our world to be beaten, bruised, and disrespected to the point of death because He loves you. And He wanted to purchase you back from sin. Can we get ourselves in that lane and enjoy the candy canes and the cookies and the gifts but can we get ourselves in this lane as we go forward to de- December 25th when we celebrate that the King of Kings chose to come save you? That's what this sermon is about, and that's what Advent is about this season. So, over the next four weeks, let me give you a little test. I'll just give it to you like this. If you are a person, who, want more, who wants more than what this broken world can offer. These next four weeks are for you. This Advent season is for you. The celebration of genuine Christmas joy is for you. If you are people who know that all is not well, and you have a longing for this world to be made right again, this is what Advent is about. The coming of the King a time for us to notice our disorder and the desire and the longing for this world and ourselves to be put back into God's order. That's what Advent's about. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. And so with that, brings us to our text for this morning, which is found in Matthew 1, verses 1-17. through you can find that in your bulletin. It's printed out in your bulletin. On, uh, starts on page 3 and continues over to page 4. And that's where we'll start this morning. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, And Amos, 
the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Elikim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Why is it important to read through the genealogy of Jesus? When Ransom sent me this text, he did say, you can preach whatever you want. Here's the text I had planned. And so I saw that and I said, okay, I want to stick to this because I I want this to be what he had planned for our Advent. And then I read through Matthew 1 through 1, 1 through 17, and I went, okay, the the message is on the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm going to have to pronounce all these names publicly. Forgive me if I mispronounced some of those names, but I, I will say the question is, why, well, what is the importance of reading through Jesus' family genealogy? And there's a couple thoughts that as I've read and studied this past week, as I looked at this, there's things that popped out to me that I want you to know, that I want you to, more than just reading through the book of Matthew to get to chapter 2, for it to really start. There's some rich, rich things to find in this genealogy. There are many boys named Joshua in Jesus' time. The Hebrew name that means Jehovah is salvation. Many kids, a lot of little boys running around when Jesus was here on this earth with the name Joshua, which in the Greek is Jesus. Joshua is Jesus in the Greek. But Mary's Jesus, Mary's Jesus had a title attached to his. Very different than the other boys named Joshua or Jesus running around at that time. Mary's Jesus had been titled Christ, anointed one, means Messiah. This, This anointed one, this Christ, this Messiah was talked about all through this Old Testament. God had shared the word through his prophets and said that this Messiah, this Christ, was coming as the last sacrifice to save his people. He was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christ is the title, the Messiah, but who he was is Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. You see, Mary's Jesus was different than the rest of the boys named Jesus. He was different than every other man that has ever walked. 
He was 100% God and 100% man. That should equal 200%. But the reality is true. God can do all things. He was not from the seed of Adam. He was not from sinful man. As the Bible points out, Matthew says, uh, make sure he points this out, that in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. He was 100% man, was born through a woman just as we all have been, but 100% God, He did not come from the seed of man, of Adam, the first human. He is from the Holy Spirit. He was the miraculous conception. Why talk about His genealogy? I have two points that I want to share with you this morning. The first point is show me the money. And the second point is my family tree. Why is it important that we talk about Jesus' genealogy? The first is, show me the money. If you claim to be Christ, if you claim to be King, show me the money. You guys might remember Cuba Gooden Jr. and Jerry Maguire. It's a 90's thriller. Tom Cruise was a sports agent. Midlife crisis moment. Kubrick Gooden Jr. is a high-maintenance wide receiver. And he's, he wants to get paid. And so it's this whole scene that got popular. Kids won't remember this, but you guys remember it. If you're over the age of probably 25. Show me the money! What was Kubrick Gooden Jr. saying? He was saying, prove it, Jerry. All of this is talk right now. You say you're going to do this. Show me the money. Prove it. Show me the proof. Isn't that what he was saying? Matthew starts his Gospel about Jesus. Primarily written to Jewish men and women. And he starts his Gospel showing them the money. I know what you're going to ask. How can someone claim to be king? Show me the proof. Show me the genealogy. Because I know as a good Jewish man that in this Old Testament, it says that the Messiah will come through the line of David. And I know that the Messiah will come back through the line of Abraham. Luke even takes it a step further and runs it all the way back to Adam. But Matthew, knowing the readers of who he was writing this Gospel to, knew that was the first question when Barack Obama was elected president 12 years ago. Uh-oh, he's going political. Do you remember everybody looking for his birth certificate? When anybody claims royalty or an heir to the throne, people begin to look for the proof. People began to look for Barack Obama's birth certificate to prove he was either a U.S. citizen or not a U.S. citizen, which gave him the right to either become the President of the United States or not become the President of the United States. Matthew meets us right here with the proof and runs his 
genealogy, his lineage, all the way back through King David, through Abraham. Everything in the Jewish history pointed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And for him to be the Messiah, he must be in this lineage. Number two, my family tree. One of the greatest things that I could see this week in study and preparation for this was if we were to flip back to Genesis 5, you don't have to go there with me, I'll read it to you, but Genesis 5 verse 1, I want you to hear the difference, the contrast between the lineage and the line of Adam and the line of Jesus, the second Adam. Chapter 5 of Genesis says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Flip over to Matthew 1. Matthew starts the, Old, the New Testament the same way the Old Testament started. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How does this contrast each other? How does this come together? How are these on different... Size. They're, they're saying the same thing. One is the, 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 the book of genealogy of Adam. The second is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I have wonderful news to tell you this morning. Through the seed of Adam leads to death. This Advent season, as we look forward to December 25th, the coming of the God-man, Jesus a new lineage was formed. A new line. The second Adam. The better Adam. The better representative of God's people. New creations are formed in this new Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul writes, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He became a living being. He lived. But he rebelled. He wanted independence from God. And he got what he wanted, but it led to death. It led to disorder. Paul goes on, the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is the better Adam. The better representative. We're saved by being in Jesus' family tree. And how is this? Paul tells the church at Ephesus, by grace through faith. One of the beautiful things as we start this Advent season is the reality that God came to earth, humbled Himself to give us His life-giving Spirit. The lineage of Adam leads to death. God has put Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has come to the rescue to carry out God's plan to bring life. And that's what we get to celebrate. We are celebrating the birth of Christ, yes, but with the birth of Christ, this isn't just any old birth. This is the birth that actually has brought a new seed 
that all who trust and believe in this new seed, Christ, are given a life-giving spirit that lasts for eternity. A new lineage. A new line. And a line that leads directly to the throne of God. To worship and know God as we were intended to. Jesus is the great thing to come. This time of preparation over the next four weeks, this genuine Christmas joy is the preparation and anticipation of Jesus coming. God showing us the proof of how He is sovereign and works through all of history and gives us a new life, a new seed through the life-giving Spirit of Jesus. So my ask, my plead this morning for you as we enter into the Advent season is this. Set your heart on a genuine Christmas joy. Find a place of solitude, a place of brokenness, a place of need where you can really appreciate how God has moved in this world through Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank You. You are good. You give us more than we deserve. In fact, we get what we don't deserve. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your plan that has worked through all of history. Thank You for Your loving kindness and Your life-giving Spirit. And thank You, God, that has redeemed men and women. We get to look at the next couple weeks with anticipation as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the King. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.